What did you want to be as when you grew up? Awesome, awesome. Well, welcome everyone to Mill City Church. Uh, my name is Ashish Baskarin, and I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, before we begin, can we just give a round of applause to our tech team? Uh, they just do an amazing job week in, week out, trying to create a space of worship for all of us. So we're just really grateful for what they do. Well, this morning, would you travel back in time with me to four years ago when I was at a crossroads? Now, Anna and I had been dating for about a month. We had been good friends before we started dating, but as the month had gone on, I started to realize that for me to say I like you wasn't fully describing how I felt about Anna. But I wasn't going to say the next level of the word because it had only been a month, and no one does that. And so I was like, I'm not going to do that. And so this battle in my mind came to a culmination one day at the Commons. So Anna came to visit me at work, and as she left, I gave her a hug, and then I held her shoulders, and I looked at her, and inside my mind, this is what I went through. I said, well, I can't exactly say that I like you because that doesn't exactly describe how I feel, but I'm not going to say the next level of that word because it's only been a month, and we're at the Mill City Commons. I'm just a little more romantic than that, I think. And so I decided, I was like, okay, I have a plan. I'm going to split the difference. I am going to say, I just really like you. To, to establish, I like you. I just really like you. And then to show her the depth of my love, I was going to say, I just really like you so much. That was what I was going to say. That was too much for my brain to process in five minutes or five seconds. And even with this well-crafted sentence, what came out of my mouth, I was looking at Anna and I said, Anna, I just really love you so much. Which stunned not only Anna, but me. Now, love is an interesting word. It carries so much meaning. It describes so many emotions. Love describes the way that I feel about Anna, and it describes the way that I feel about Star Wars. And those are two different things. I would give it all, I would risk it all for Anna, but I would dress up as a Jedi, I wouldn't risk it all for Star Wars. My love for Anna is so much greater than my love for Star Wars. Now we see love and culture all around us, it is depicted in movies and advertisements. It can be condensed down to a hashtag and it's seen as this great force at the center of the universe. Love is seen as the answer to all our problems that led the Beatles to sing, all you need is love. But the more that I consider love and the more that I look at the culture all around me and the different descriptions of love and the ways that love is used, I'm left singing another song. I'm left asking the question, what is love? Now, this answer to this question is really important for Jesus followers because we believe that God is love. And love is supposed to define us as followers of Christ. In fact, it says this in the New Testament. Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. But if we're honest, love might not be the word the world uses to describe Christians. Love might not be the word that you use to describe Christians. In such a divisive time, it feels like as Jesus followers, we've prioritized other ways of interacting with each other. Ways of judgment, ways of selfishness, ways of comparison or competition. But I believe that we're living in a time where Jesus is calling his followers and the church to refocus on him. And in our passage this morning, we'll see that the answer to the question, what is love, 
is that love is the most excellent way. And so as we continue our series on everyday faithfulness, the big idea for this morning is everyday faithfulness involves following the way of love. Everyday faithfulness involves following the way of love. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, we are just so grateful for your love. And so as we spend the next few minutes just reflecting on that love, we pray that your love would fill us and that we would receive that love. And Holy Spirit, we pray that that love would guide us and equip us to join you in the work that you're doing. Father, we commit the words that I'm saying. We commit the text that we're reading. We just commit it to you. Would you be present with us? In your name I pray. Amen. Now, what better passage to talk about than 1 Corinthians chapter 13? That's where we're going to be this morning. It's a passage that revolves around love. Now, this passage is very popular in culture. Maybe you've heard it at a wedding. Maybe you've used it for your own wedding. And when you see 1 Corinthians 13, it's easy to see why couples use this passage for their ceremony. This is a beautiful picture of love. It is a great foundation to build a marriage on. This passage is a great passage for a wedding ceremony. And this passage is so much more than just the marriage passage. When we look at the context of 1 Corinthians 13, it's easy to see that this passage is first and foremost about the love of the church. This passage is first and foremost about the love that should be displayed by the church and in the church. Now, just some context on the letter. The Corinthian church, whom this letter was written to, had many problems. There were divisions. There were scandals. The community was self-focused and began to compare and compete against one another. Not even those outside. They began to compare against one another in the church. So Paul writes a letter to this community addressing these issues and giving them practical ways to live out their faith. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is found in Paul's section where he addresses worship or gathering in the church. The people in the Corinthian church had different gifts to use to glorify God and serve one another. But the problem was the Corinthian church started to elevate certain gifts above each other. So they started to elevate what they considered the highest gifts of speaking in tongues or prophesying. And they started to put down what they considered the lower gifts. And this caused a lot of division in the community. Here's where Paul uses the analogy of the church like a body. He says that the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. As a church, we need each other. We're not only supposed to love each other, but to represent God to the world. But what was the way that they were supposed to do this? And here's where we get to our text this morning. So if you have a Bible or if you have an app, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll have the verse, as always, on the screen behind me. Now, we're going to work through this passage bit by bit this morning. And as we work through it, we'll see this is the way of love that is supposed to define the Corinthian church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul begins, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is the sentence that sets up the rest of this chapter. Yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So Paul starts by creating this picture of what the Corinthians would have considered the exemplary Christian, the Christian of Christians. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I have faith so strong that I can move mountains, if I give generously to the poor, and even if I endure hardship for the sake of Jesus, on the surface, this person looked and sounded like a Christian. Now, I remember when Anna and I were dating, we decided to up our culinary skills because tacos can only take you so far. And so my mom sent us a recipe for Indian curry, and so we were excited. We're going to put this recipe together. And as we put it together, it smelled great. It looked great. And we had this deep sense of accomplishment when we finished putting this dish together. Now, this dish looked like curry. It smelled like curry. But when we got up close and tasted it, it was awful. It's because we forgot a key ingredient. The ingredient we forgot was salt. That is a big deal, and it tasted awful. This was the missing ingredient. So going back to this analogy that Paul uses, this person sounded and looked like a Christian, but there was a key ingredient that was missing in their life. That key ingredient was love. Now, there is nothing wrong with these gifts. In fact, God had given these gifts to the church to love each other and to honor him. But without love, it was like a clanging symbol. It did the community no good. This was the problem that Paul highlights. This is what happens in the Corinthian church. And then Paul is saying, okay, so now what describes this love? What describes this most excellent way? And here we move to the next few verses. Now, many of us have maybe heard these four verses at weddings all around us. We, we've heard this verse many, many times. And so as a different way to engage the text this morning... I'm going to do something a little different. And I might get a lot of flack for this, but here we are. All right, so what we're going to do to engage the text a little differently is instead of me reading the text to you, we are all going to read the text together. All right, so how we're going to do this is the verses will be up there. Start when I start. Don't run ahead of me. And we're going to read this verse together. So let's read. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen. So Paul explains this most excellent way. And the word for love that is used here is the Greek word agape. Now we find this word agape throughout the New Testament. And if you're unfamiliar with what this term means, agape love refers to self-giving, sacrificial, unconditional love. Agape love is other-focused love. And everyday faithfulness means living out this agape love in our everyday spaces. But when you look at this list, it's impossible. How in the world are we supposed to do this? In our own strength, we cannot display this love to the people around us. I've tried. I've failed. And we look at the struggle. We see the struggle in the church. 
I think of the scandals that have been covered up by the church. I think of the divisions present in bodies of believers. I think of the ways in the name of love Christians have used love to shame or put people down. I even think of my own life. I'm saying, yeah, Paul, this is great. This list of what love is is amazing. But I struggle to live one of these out, to live all of them out in everyday spaces. That's just impossible. So where do we begin? How do we begin to live this way of love? Well, agape love should sound familiar because it's the love that God showed us through Jesus. And that's where we begin. Everyday faithfulness has to begin by receiving God's love. We can't live it if we haven't received it. So receiving God's love means stepping towards this love, but what does this love look like? And when we look at the life of Jesus, we can see what this love looks like. Through Jesus, we see that this love is patient and kind. God knows that in our own strength, we will stumble, we'll fail at living out this love, but when we do, there is grace to pick us up. It's a love that we don't have to earn. We don't have to live in fear of losing this love or strive to earn this love. This love is freely given because God is love. It's a love that heals and restores. For those wounded, for those exhausted, God's love gives us a space to be honest and breathe. And finally, it's a love that will never fail. Though the world may change daily and people may come and go, God's love remains constant. And here's the mind-boggling thing. In that love, and those words only describe part of that love, the fullness of God's love, God offers himself to us. In the depth of his love, God looks at us and says, I love you and I'm for you. So we get to receive this love. Accept this love and let the Holy Spirit shape that love in us. And this is not a one-time thing, but a daily practice that as followers of Christ, we get to lean into. Everyday faithfulness begins by receiving God's love. And when we receive God's agape love, we are able to, by His power and in His strength and from the source of His love, we're able to live that agape love out towards each other and the people around us. So let's go back to this excellent way that Paul talks about. Paul uses verses 4 through 7 to explain what following the way of love looks like. Now remember that Paul is talking to a community of believers or a church. And as a community of believers, as we read this text, let's reflect what does following the way of love look like for us. And so we're going to go through verse 4 through 7 again. Paul begins, love is patient. Love is kind. The way that the NIV translates this, these seem like adjectives, but actually these are verbs. And so following the way of love means walking with patience. Following the way of love means showing kindness. The way of love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. The way of love leads us not to act out of comparison, but rooted in a secure identity that we are beloved children of God. When we're rooted in that identity, we don't have to envy. We don't have to boast. It, it reminds us that we, we are, are not supposed to be prideful. Agape love does not dishonor others, nor is it self-seeking. Both of these describe seeking my own wants at the expense of someone else. The way of love is other-focused. Love is not easily angered or irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love doesn't withhold forgiveness when it is in our power to forgive. And here's one of my favorite parts. Paul goes on to say, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I think sometimes when we look at culture, we can look at the ways that love is described, and love can be described as this kind of passive or flowery kind of thing. But when we look at agape love, we'll realize that agape love is passionate and rooted in the cause of justice. Following the way of love means not delighting when we see injustice, but being people that pursue truth and rejoice when truth prevails. Paul ends by saying this love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love protects. It advocates for those who go unnoticed, and it stands up for the vulnerable. Love trusts. One pastor says that love trusting means that we assume the best of someone. We start with that assumption. In a divided world, it's easy to look at someone and start by assuming the worst. But when we start by assuming the best, it actually leads us to get to know their story before we begin passing judgment. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And sometimes that means holding hope for those who don't have the strength to hold hope themselves. And love perseveres. Love doesn't opt out or in when it's convenient, but love remains steadfast. So can you imagine a community of people that followed this way of love? People that have received God's agape love and are empowered to live it out. And when you look at our world, doesn't our world need a love like this? Imagine the people in your homes or your schools or your workplaces or neighborhoods looking at your life and seeing this way of love being lived out. This is the way that Paul urges the Corinthians to live. This was the love that was supposed to define the church. Their gatherings, their actions, and their witness. Everyday faithfulness involves following the way of love. So after this description, Paul continues, and we'll end with verses 8 through 13. Paul says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. See, prophecies, speaking in tongues, knowledge, these gifts weren't wrong. In fact, God had given the Corinthian church these gifts to use for his glory. The problem was that the Corinthians were taking these gifts and elevating to a place where they were way higher than they were supposed to be elevated. And they began to walk in ways of envy, walk in ways where they dishonored one another, walk in ways where they were boasting or easily angered by one another. And so Paul is saying, yes, these gifts are great and these gifts are given by God, but these gifts are temporary. There will be a day when God returns and we won't need the gift of prophesying because we will know God. There will be a day when God returns and we won't need the gift of speaking in tongues because we'll be able to speak to God. These gifts will fade away, but what will last, what is permanent in this world and what will last in the world to come is the way of love. Love will last forever. 
So as we await that day, we follow the way of love. And I love how the message translates verse 13. It says, till that day, till Jesus returns, we trust steadily in God. We hope unswervingly. We love extravagantly. We trust steadily. We hope unswervingly. And we love extravagantly. Everyday faithfulness involves following the way of love. So what does that mean for us as we head into this week? And as we end, I have two questions for us to reflect on as we go through this upcoming week. The first question I want us to reflect on is, where do you need to receive God's love this week? In light of this passage, in light of the agape love that we just talked about, where do you need to receive God's love? Now remember, we cannot live it if we haven't received it. And we need God's love in every area of our lives, but is there a specific area where God is inviting you to remember that he loves you? And he is inviting you to remember to step into that love. For me, an area this past week was seminary. I found out, and this always happens every summer, that every big project had kind of culminated to one week. And I remember doing seminary and really wrestling because I often, as an achiever, try to work for God's favor. If I don't get the grade, God is not happy with me. If I don't study enough, God is going to leave me. If I don't write the paper well enough, God is going to say, well, Ashish, you're useless. You didn't achieve for my love. So this was a space that I needed to remember and step into God's love. I needed to remember that I don't need to earn anything for God's favor, but I get to live from a place where I am already loved. I get to live not for that love, but I get to live from that love. And a practice that helped me remember this and step into it was the practice of prayer. Now, for me, the practice of prayer is holding my hands open. And if you listen to a sermon that I've given, you know that this is a practice that I use often. There are other ways to pray, but this is the way that I have found meaningful in my own life. So the practice that I use is I hold my hands open. And what this reminds me is that all the gifts that I have been given have been given by God. And I am not in control of what happens. And with hands open, I not only give what I have to God, but I receive from God. It's a posture that reminds me that I can receive from God. And I ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you remind me of your love? And would you let that love shape me and shape the way that I interact in this area? Now, other practices could be reading your Bible or listening to your Bible. It could be worshiping through music. It could be studying. That could be a practice that reminds you of God's love and invites you to step into it. It could be the practice of lament. Maybe you're in a place where you're exhausted or you feel like you're just wounded and broken. The practice of lament invites us to be honest about that brokenness, honest about that exhaustion with God, and hold on to the hope that God is with us. Maybe for you it's the practice of confession. There might be something in your heart that is blocking you from receiving or fully entering God's love. Maybe a practice is confessing those things to God and saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm open to what you're doing. Would you come and fill me with your love and shape me by that love? There are different practices that can help us remember God's love and step towards it. So this week, is there a specific area where you need to receive God's love? where you need to remember that God loves you. Maybe that's as a parent, where you need to remember that God loves you. Maybe that's as an employee or a boss. Maybe that's as a friend or as a roommate. Maybe it's as a spouse. What is an area where you need to remember that God loves you and step into that love? Now, it's not just an intellectual exercise, and I think sometimes these practices of receiving can be an intellectual exercise and stay up here. 
But when we receive God's love, it actually changes our hearts. I remember when I prayed, I was like, Holy Spirit, would you shape me by that love? I felt held. I felt at peace. And I felt empowered to do what God has gifted me to do. God invites us to remember that he loves us and invites us to step into that love. So where do you need to receive God's love this week? And second, what is one way you can live out this love this week? We receive God's agape love so that we can live out God's agape love. So can I give you a challenge for Monday or Sunday night, whenever you're reflecting on the week that's to come? And this is something I'm going to do tomorrow morning as well. Would you take the time tomorrow morning before you go to work or before you start your day to actually open 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 and read these verses. It's only four verses. It'll take you at most a minute. But as you read these verses, ask God, when I look at these qualities, is there a quality of love that you are inviting me to focus on this week? And the second question, is there a person that I can focus this quality of love on? Is there a quality of love that I can focus on this week? And what is one person that can be the focus of that love? I'd encourage you, once you read it, I would encourage you to just pull out your calendar. Look at who you're interacting with this week and ask God for the strength to live out that quality of love towards that person. Maybe that's showing patience with a child. Maybe that is walking in kindness with a spouse or a roommate. Maybe that's keeping no record of wrongs with a coworker or a neighbor. Maybe it's persevering and showing yourself as present to someone who's going through a tough time. That can be a text. That can be actually your physical presence there. But love perseveres. Is that something that God is inviting you to live out this week? And is there a person that you can focus on with that love? So ask the Holy Spirit, what is one quality that you want me to focus on? And what is one person that I can focus that quality on? Reflect about that tomorrow. Even during this last bit of worship, would you invite the Holy Spirit to reveal some of those answers to you? So our question is, where do you need God's love? What is one way you can live out that love this week? I'm going to invite the band up as we close. So everyday faithfulness involves following the way of love. And can you imagine if this love is what defined our community? Can you imagine what would happen if we let this agape love shape not only our interactions with each other, but our interactions with the world? I believe that we would see our city changed. And I believe that we would see people pointed to the deep agape love of Jesus, a love that is for them, a love that they can experience and a love that they can step into. And when you look at the world and all the division, all the brokenness, all the pain, isn't that love what people need right now? So everyday faithfulness involves following the way of love. And we do this till Jesus' return. Till Jesus comes back, we live as people that trust steadily, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly, even as we are extravagantly loved. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, we are so grateful for your love love that is patient, a love that is kind, a love that never fails, a love that invites all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, a love that invites us into your presence to experience that love, to find healing, to find restoration, to be empowered to live out that love to the people around us. 
And so Jesus, as we end our time in worship, as we reflect on your love for us, would we reflect on these questions? Where, God, are you inviting us to receive that love this week? Where are you inviting us to live that love out? Maybe even as we're worshiping, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us ways that we can live that love out and people that we can love? Jesus, we do this because love is what is supposed to define Jesus' followers. And so would we be a witness in this world, a witness of your agape love, a love that never fails, a love that is for us, and a love that we can hold on to. We love you, Lord. We give you the rest of today. In your name I pray.